now I know why I was supposed to be here. Like it's, my life has changed in the most miraculous ways from that little seed of, of kind of understanding. I think there's another life out there for me besides this one that I'm living. The fork in the road, it wasn't right or wrong. It was just, if I go this way, I'm gonna have this. If I go into the unknown, I don't know. And I was drawn to that unknown. That was just a small snippet of my conversation with Joy Stearns, who took a massive gamble at the age of 47 with the sole purpose of finding joy, but in the end, found herself. And this is the Korean Vegan Podcast, where we talk about how to live a more purposeful and empowered life. Welcome back to another episode of the Korean Vegan Podcast. This is Joanne Molinaro, your host. Today, we're going to talk about creative slumps, dream chasing, and getting dumped. Why are we covering such a wide variety of topics? Well, it's been a minute since we've done an Ask Joanne, and so I thought I'd devote a good chunk of this episode to tackling a bunch of those. But before we do that, we're also going to talk to a woman who is, in my opinion, the walking embodiment of her own name, Joy Stearns. Joy is the creator and co-owner of a restaurant you've likely heard me talk about a lot, Joy Cafe. I met Joy over a year ago, and her relentless pursuit of purpose, combined with the unapologetic safeguarding of self, inspired me not only to take a leap of faith in my own career, but in geography. <laughs> she is one of the big reasons I decided to leave Chicago and come to not just California, but a tiny little suburb in the valley. She is a pillar of the community of compassion I wanted so much to be a part of. And let me just say, her breakfast bagel sandwich, yeah, it reaffirms my choice every single morning. Joy not only shares her own story here, but we'll also weigh in directly on the Ask Joannes today because I can think of no one better suited to provide yet another point of view on the questions we've picked for today. So, without further ado, let's get into it. Really? Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> what did you have for breakfast today? I have been making smoothies again in the morning at home. I get up at five, I hike or run and like do my thing and then have the smoothie. And then I have breakfast when I get to work at 10. Oh. So it, that's kind of my little situation. Okay. Well, getting up at five, that is something to aspire to. And then hiking afterwards. Yes. That's amazing. How long have you been hiking? Um, you know, I've been an avid outdoors person. I don't even remember how long that's, I joke all the time about why I left Texas because, um, it was so hard to, I had to get up so early before the heat to like do anything outside. So here it's amazing. 
and I have trails right by my house and I can take my dogs and let them off the leash. So I, I don't even remember a time when I wasn't doing it. Mm-hmm. It's like my t- I put my headphones in. I only listen to music or silence on a hike and I feel the most present, contented, happy out on the trails. Mm-hmm. I love it. Mm. And by here, for those of you who don't know, we mean California, where there are plenty of trails. And true to what Joy is saying, it doesn't appear to get hot until much later in the day, no matter like the deepest parts of summer, for the most part, subject to heat waves. (laughs) Yeah. And it's hilly. Yeah. So it's an awesome like be outside workout. It like checks all the boxes for me. And with my job and working as much as I do, I need that outlet of some kind of, you know, cardio outdoors Mm. situation. Mm. So it's good. So I definitely want to talk about your job that takes up so much of who you are. But before we do that, I'm so glad you mentioned Texas because I only knew that you came from Texas, I think like after our fifth or sixth conversation, I was like, you're from Texas? I had no idea. So take us back to that time in your life. I mean, I don't think you were born in Texas, right? You were born here in California, right? I grew up here. My parents came here when I was young. My dad was in the Navy, uh, and there's a base close to where we live in uh, Ventura County, Thousand Oaks. So I grew up here. I moved to Texas when I was 18. I was married twice there. I had two kids there, and I moved back here at... 47, I believe. What took you out to Texas at 18? I um, was rebellious. (laughs) Um, My sister, at the time, there was an airline that was like the pristine airline. It was Braniff Airlines. It went defunct, but she was there. And I just thought, and I'm older than you. So at the time, Texas was kind of in its boom. Mm. And the whole idea of the South and cowboys and a different city just intrigued me. And so I jumped in my Camaro and and moved there. And it was great. Like, you know, it was good. I kind of grew up there. I was on my own there. I got married um, twice. Like I said, I raised my kids there. But ultimately, it became a little stifling for me and I needed to change. And I came back here and I'm so grateful because honestly, my life like a whole nother journey of my life started with closing that door and opening the door to California. And I had a very traumatic childhood. So I kind of grew up in a tornado Mm. and California represented that for me. And so I never came back here after I left. And when I came back for the first time, I saw the beauty again of this place and this valley that I grew up in. And I remembered nature and as a child going outside to get away from the chaos and the beauty and all of that. And honestly, my my heart still soars, which I know you're having a little bit of this experience at the beauty of this area. And I was compelled to like come back here, heal those wounds, almost have some alchemy around them Mm. and then use them to make this my home again, because I think it always was my home. I just, I just got lost in kind of what happened when I was younger. So I'm, I'm super grateful to like be in the community 
that raised me and the trails that raised me and just the beauty and the beach and everything that California has. You no, know, I think one of the wonderful things about learning from you is opening myself to this possibility of healing from nature. I'm always much more like science-based. I'm always like, no, give me drugs or give me therapy or things like that or give me science, give me a book or, or a podcast. And one of the things that I've learned from you and your experience as well as many of the people in this area, quite frankly, is you can heal simply from taking a walk. You can heal from simply opening yourself up to the wind or to the smell of the air or just observing the trees and the birds and the things that are happening around you, that stillness kind of encourages you to be present in a way that many things like podcasts, our phones, our books, and things like that simply cannot. Now, you talk about healing some of these wounds. Are you speaking about wounds from your childhood or fresh wounds from Texas? Um, I would say all of my wounds were rooted in my childhood, and any wounds or problems I had during my life all started mm. in one place. So as much as I would like to say, well, this happened to me and this happened to me, honestly, I had such a chaotic childhood that I became chaos. Mm. And so it was only in kind of unraveling that story and looking at it and uh, making peace with it like and and I've done it all so it's not just nature I've done therapy and podcast and breathing and yoga and and money and drugs and alcohol and all of the things and food to try to heal but honestly I think for me I just learned I had to come back to myself learn to love myself I couldn't I couldn't spend my whole life looking for someone else to like fix that for me and I'm, I'm like my own cherry on top now. Mm. And it's a really beautiful space to be in, to kind of come full circle. When your childhood gets kind of robbed from you, you don't have that internal compass. And so I think you go out into the world trying to find someone to help you navigate. You know, I was kind of a feral child. I didn't have parenting. And so I matured late, took me a while, but, um, the experience and the journey that I've been on has is what's helped me be successful in everything that I do now. And I, I'm grateful for it ultimately. And there was a time where I couldn't say that. And, you know, dysfunction, our parents have their own story, like to find forgiveness and all of that is, is a big journey. Oh, it's an absolutely big journey. I never tell people that forgiveness is a necessary part of that journey because I think that trying to force someone into that position comes with it its own risks of re-wounding and, and re-harming a person. But that said, there's so much that can be reaped from that for your own healing process and, and fulfillment. If it's something that can be done, again, without forcing it, it's certainly something that should at least be attempted. I guess if you're comfortable sharing, what was the source of that chaos in your childhood? What contributed so much to that wounding? Um, my 
Uh, my dad left when I was very young. I'm the youngest of five kids. So there's uh, quite an age difference between me and my siblings. So that, that was one part of kind of the dynamic in my childhood. Um, my mom for sure had mental illness. Um, I would say she was most likely bipolar. She was an alcoholic. She had five kids and she just wasn't a good parent. And you know, when I say forgiveness, I think it's funny because the other day I was saying, you know, I don't have a lot of compassion mm -hmm. around the choices that she made because she had a responsibility to us. But I also can like find a space that I haven't internalized that kind of as my problem. And I think for me, I have to use that word forgiveness mm. because it causes some separation for me uh, between that story of my childhood, because that's all it is now, is a, a story. It's not happening now and like this space that I'm in now. So my mom's dead, which helps honestly mm -hmm. to like find forgiveness because mm -hmm. I'm not having the wounding still happen. Exactly, no re-traumatizing. Right, but um, it was crazy. It was batshit crazy. It was the 70s and, um, you know, adults were just kind of around. There was no parenting happening. So I, I think my story is a lot of people's story. Of, of course it has things that are personal to me, but it's not unusual, especially for my age range. I think that time in parenting was so different. And of course I parented different than my mom did, but I made mistakes too. Mm -hmm. So it's just kind of, you, we're all trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you think that at 18, when you decided then to move to Texas and try something different, were you attempting to escape that sort of chaos that had been so prevailing in your life? Oh, absolutely. And I had a lot of shame. Like my mom embarrassed us. So I couldn't wait to like get out of this town. I actually moved out when I was 15. So I was already working full time. Um, so it, yeah, I was definitely escaping and I kept escaping mm. through relationships, through anywhere I could find to make me feel better. I did that for a long time and I hurt a lot of people on the way, along the way. I hurt myself along the way. Like it was a lot, it was a lot to get to where I am now. What do you think made you feel better? Like how did you cope with some of that pain? You said that you were in a lot of relationships that, you know, hopefully made you feel better, but perhaps only temporarily. I think when you're um, struggling with kind of deep wounding from childhood, if you don't straighten that out prior to trying to bring another person into your life. It's like you have this wound that's bleeding. Mm. And for me, I'm just talking for me, I, I was trying to find other people to like patch it up for me, but it really had to be patched up from the inside out. And I will say I was trying to do that. Like I, I've always been a seeker. I've always read, um, I did A Course in Miracles, and I went to Al-Anon and Wayne Dyer, and I tried all the things, and all those things took me one more little step, one more little step, and I stopped drinking, and I got into fitness, and I became vegan, and I did a lot of little things along the way that maybe at the time I thought weren't helping or didn't. I wanted it fast but it wasn't fast. 
It was a slow process and therapy and EMDR and, you know, all sorts of things. So I've done a lot of things to make peace with that. Mm. And I'm thankful that I had that inside of me and I wasn't just continuing to bump into people and kind of hurt them the mm. way that I'd been hurt mm. and kind of taking that pain from the outside and putting it on everybody else. I'm still working on it. I still have sharp edges. I still have ways in which I react that I need to work on, mm. but I'm getting there. Well, growth is a never ending process, right? But I do think you're right. There's something very important about being self-aware and kind of understanding the luggage that we all have when we move literally from one state to the next, but also existentially when we're moving from one chapter to the next in, in the various phases of who we are. Now, I, I think you mentioned that you were married twice while you were in Texas. Were either of those relationships, in your view, kind of another attempt at either escaping a chaotic relationship from your past or an attempt to feel better about it? I think everything I did and the choices I made were a combination of, there was a very wise person inside of me. Mm -hmm. So I had that direction, although I couldn't always access it. And a part of me that just wanted someone to love me. Mm -hmm. And I always joke about that childhood book, are you my mother? Are you my mother? I, you know, I think that was kind of what I was mm -hmm. doing. And my First marriage was abusive and bad, and I was only married a year, but I have a beautiful son from that, and having a son really helped me like become responsible for something. And my second marriage was not horrible. Um, I was married to a really good man, but I wasn't in a space, and I was married for 15, 16 years, and I got to be a stay-at-home mom. I got to do all the things for my kids that I didn't experience growing up. And that was super healing mm -hmm. for me. But ultimately, because I didn't know who I was, I didn't pick people who were the right people for me. And once I started getting some clarity and I quit drinking and I changed my diet and I was getting more grounded, I realized I was in a marriage that wasn't, I wasn't growing there, right? I don't know. It just didn't fit. Honestly, I think I had a little bit of like a midlife nervous breakdown that, oh my gosh, I'm 47. I have these things I haven't done. Like I can stay here and be comfortable. I was super comfortable or I can risk it all. And I did, and I did risk it all. And I left and I came to California. And um, for people who don't know my story, I own a restaurant here, a vegan restaurant, Joy Cafe. And it was born from that um, kind of rebirth that I had. I wanted to just spend a, a minute on what you said that having a child was incredibly healing for you and you were able to sort of be that mom that you always wanted to be. What I always find very interesting is that when I talk to parents, particularly newer parents, I feel like they're so frazzled and life is so chaotic and that eventually they sort of disappear into their parenthood, that they forget who they actually were before they were parents. But what I find so fascinating about what you described was that 
even though you had children and you were living in Texas with this good man who, you know, ultimately you decide maybe wasn't your best partner, it seems you were still constantly on that journey towards self-rediscovery, finding who you are. How did you balance that, being a present mother while also saying, this doesn't mean that I also disappear. I need to continue to pursue joy. So I think there's a lot of contradictions in parenting. So the first thing I want to say is kids do not fix your problems. I probably, I'm not even probably, I know I didn't have kids for if I were to have children now, it would be very a very different situation in my mindset. So I was haphazard about it. I was not conscientious in the partner I picked. So I was fortunate that there was healing for me in, in the mothering, but I don't think that's right that I put that on my kids. And I don't think it was right that... I wasn't my best self when I became a parent, but it is what it is, right? And and I don't regret it. My kids are amazing, but I didn't get lost in it. I think that it's just my nature. I have a drive inside of me, a little bit of a perfectionist, like all sorts of wonderful dynamics that drive me. And I think too, I have some attachment issues and I didn't see myself as thrown into parenting and parenting the way I saw other people do it. And I took that as a negative, but it's just part of who I am. And so I don't know what my kids would say. I did the best I could. And yeah, I didn't, I didn't get lost. Mm. In fact, I think when my kids got old enough to be independent, I was itching to do more and find more out about myself. Do you think that that itch that you mentioned, particularly this kind of midlife nervous breakdown even that you may have had in your you know later 40s, do you think that was just something that had lain dormant for a few years and was kind of waiting to burst open? Or was there some specific event that preceded it? Can you remember like where you were when you had this thought like, man, I need to step out of my comfort zone here? It's a really big story, how I left and what led up to that, to kind of put it in a capsule. It happened very quickly. I was almost compelled to come to California. I didn't know why. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what it was. My heart just yearned. I had come here on a vacation, and it was the first time I had been back, and I knew I was supposed to be here. Mm -hmm. And I tried to get my husband to actually move here for a little while. Like there was a whole nother story. But ultimately, I didn't know exactly what was going on within my body. I just know I needed to be here. And he did not want to be here. And so that was kind of like the tipping point for our relationship. And we both made our choices. I had no idea about the cafe. That was not on my radar. I just kept like following the breadcrumbs, maybe in a little bit of a reckless way, honestly, 
But fortunately for me, I have some kind of weird intuition that some things I just know. And I didn't know if I was going to work at Trader Joe's or at the time I was a yoga teacher. Like, I didn't know. I had been a stay-at-home mom. And so I didn't know what I was going to do. But then I met Nick, who's my partner in the cafe. And the whole time I was kind of telling everybody, like, I don't know what's going to happen with my life. I was cooking. Mm -hmm. And I was cooking. And I was cooking amazing vegan food. And, you know, Nick was like, maybe you should do something with food. And the cafe was born. Now I know what that compulsion was. Now I know why I was supposed to be here. Like it's my life has changed in the most miraculous ways from that little seed of of kind of understanding. I think there's another life out there for me besides this one that I'm living and neither the fork in the road. There wasn't it wasn't right or wrong. It was just, if I go this way, I'm going to have this. If I go into the unknown, I don't know. And I was drawn to that unknown. Did you think that at the end of that unknown, you would experience the kind of liberation and joy that you now have? Like, could you have even imagined it at that point? <laughs> no. And, um, you know, my ex-husband, like, we were well off, so I left a lot behind, honestly. And I didn't know about financial autonomy. I didn't know what it would feel like to earn my own money. I didn't know what it would feel like to own a business that asked more of me than I would have ever agreed to give had I known in advance. It is the best thing that ever happened to me. And I risked everything. All my I, I risked it all to do the cafe. And I'm so grateful. I think what I hear from you is the importance of developing an ear for your own intuition. And then, of course, having the bravery to listen to it. Because it's one thing to hear that voice, like attuning your ear to hearing that internal voice that's sort of nudging you this way and that. But of course, it's yet another thing to have the courage to then say, I'm going to listen to this voice. I have no real plan. I'm not sure where it's going to take me. But I trust me more than I trust everything else around me. How do you think you developed that? Um, I, and I want to be clear about this, and I don't know if you've had this experience or any of your listeners have, I have intuition, which is just my little day to day things pop in my head, information comes to me. And, and I think my gift is I act on those things because it doesn't bother me if they don't pay off. I'm like, Oh, all right. That one was a miss because when it does pay off, it's very right. But when I came here, I was compelled. And I want to really exaggerate that word because I didn't have a choice. Mm. I was compelled within my body. And that's only happened to me a couple of times in life. So that was a very different feeling. I felt it when I saw the logo for the cafe. I was compelled, even though it was a really scary proposition. And I was compelled to come here and, uh, and to leave my marriage. And so it wasn't really like intuition. Mm. Do I do this? Do I not? It was like a physical reaction that I have to do this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you arrive back in California and 
what did you do at the time to support yourself? You also had two children. I mean, did they come with you? My kids came with me. Um, my kids were older at the time. So my daughter was 15 and my son was 18 or 19. You know, I was going through a divorce. I I had some money coming from my divorce, and but that was all I had. And it was funny at the time because I had a number in my head of what I would need for like now, for the next 10 years, and then to have in retirement. But ultimately, I just kept saying to the universe, let me get enough money to be okay. And I got exactly enough money to buy a little house in California and to start the cafe and kind of have a year of finding my way, not a penny more. Mm. Had I gotten more money, I would have never started the cafe. Really? Had I had enough to be independent and like not use, like not be a little afraid, I don't think I would have done it. So at the time I was, you know, bummed out that I didn't get more money in my divorce, but ultimately it was the best thing that ever happened to me because it really, it put me in a position when we opened the cafe, that failure was not an option. We lived off our credit cards, like, and I could lose everything. And I needed to be in that space to access what I was going to need to have a successful business. I'm not saying everybody needs those dynamics, but for me, I can be lazy. Like I have some, I have some quirks in that area. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like the universe took all of that out of my way and put me in a position that here's the cards you were dealt. What are you going to do? And it was such a fine, I mean, it was a fine line. Mm -hmm. I literally had just enough money to do those things. That's incredible. I want to talk now about kind of the steps that led you to making this incredible decision just to start Joy Cafe. And you mentioned earlier that you met Nick, who is currently your partner in in the restaurant. How did you meet Nick? Um, We met through a mutual friend of ours and we instantly clicked. I remember we started talking and we had somebody walk up mid-conversation and they, they said to us, oh, you two have known each other for a while based on our conversation. And we were like, well, if a while is 10 minutes. Wow. <laughs> because we had just met, but we had met before. It was one of those situations, like the, the way our conversation flowed, the way we had banter between us, the way our brains and creativity connected. Um, It was meaningful. And I remember going home that night and thinking, wow, that was really weird that I felt so connected Mm. to this person. And I saw him a few more times after that. He was actually dating a friend of mine at the time. And then I went away to Indonesia for the summer. I went and did some things. And when I came back, I ran into him again. And a friendship blossomed. And it was beautiful. And I had never like felt so connected to somebody as I, it was like family. Mm. So it was really beautiful. And that's, and then we started talking about if you could do anything you wanted to do, if you could, and my original idea was I wanted a little food truck and I only wanted to work it when I wanted to work it. And then my other idea was to have a tiny little restaurant and I would just cook what I wanted for the day. And when it ran out, I would just close down. Mm. And Nick was like, well, 
I think we can have a better idea than that. Like, and I think he saw I had something he could monetize. Like, I don't mean that in a beautiful way. Mm. I never saw cooking as a, as a talent. It was just something that I did. He saw it very differently and he felt like I had a gift and he exploited that gift in a beautiful way for me. And I'm super grateful because I couldn't see it. When had he had an opportunity to try your food? I mean, were you just randomly cooking for him or? Well, Nick is a general or was a general contractor. He had a very successful business when we met and I was remodeling a house and I had finished it, but I had a bunch of little um, odds and ends that didn't get done. So he came, it was a super small job, something he would never have probably said yes to, but he said yes, because it was me. And they were, his guys were doing work there and he would come to check on them. And I would say, I'm cooking lunch, like come in and eat lunch. And our lunch dates turned into dinner dates and turned into the next thing and the next thing. And I was just cooking, cooking, cooking the whole time. Mm. So in addition to being a good friend and um, an avid eater of your food, he eventually asks you to go into business with him and, and to create some way of monetizing your talent in the kitchen? He did. I think um, I, I always say that the cafe kind of came from the ethers. I don't remember, honestly, the first step. We had only known each other a year. And both of us, I wasn't even telling my friends what I was considering because I knew they would tell me I was crazy. And I was going to talk about this a little bit with the questions, but I'll go into it now. I mean, I have a little secret. I had never sold a bite of food. I had never owned a business. I had worked at an IHOP when I was 17. That's my restaurant experience. So to have this compulsion to open a restaurant was not sensible. And to open with my kind of boyfriend at the time and take the last bit of money that I had and put it into something that wasn't sensible at the time, probably mm -hmm. to most people, we felt it was. And I really had a drive to show people like it kind of what happened was we went to eat at the Four Seasons and I couldn't, and Nick and I, neither one of us could order anything off the menu. Uh, and I remember thinking how ridiculous it was that we were at the Four Seasons and I had to get rice and broccoli. Mm -hmm. And it kind of like lit a conversation like, what if, what if, what if? And you've been to my restaurant. I don't have any fried food. It's not vegan comfort food. Like I was cooking real food. People would come to my house. They wouldn't even know it was vegan. Mm -hmm. We just kind of felt like there was possibly a place for that. And then as we entertained the idea, there's a difference between struggling and working hard. And there was no struggle. We were working hard, but doors were opening, things were happening. And I remember Nick wanting to name the cafe Joy Cafe, and I hated it. Why? I didn't want my name on there at all. Mm. I was just horrified by that. I thought it was just terrible. I wanted to call it, um, what do we want to call it? I can't ever remember, but I didn't like that. And then we drew a logo, and I saw it in that artistic form of a logo, and in my heart, I was like, oh, it's supposed to be that. Mm -hmm. Like, I just knew. It was that same voice that told you to mm -hmm. go to California. 
Mm -hmm. So there were little things like that along the way Mm -hmm. um, that I was kind of in this space of bless it or block it. Like if I'm not supposed to do this, make it really, really, really hard. Mm. And I was just saying that mantra every day and it wasn't really, really hard. If you hadn't met Nick and if he hadn't encouraged you to turn your ideas, because it sounds like you actually had some ideas, like a food truck or, or something small. But if you hadn't met Nick, do you think that Joy Cafe would be in existence today? Okay, I'm going to be brutally honest here, and it doesn't it it doesn't present me in the best light, but <laughs> this is just the truth. No, I wouldn't have done it. I I imagine I would have found someone to marry me again. Mm. I would have found an easier way. I would have not been brave enough to do anything like that on my own. I think that's so powerful. I, I've said this so many times now, and and a good friend of mine actually said this to me. She's also a woman in a space that's usually filled with men. And I, I certainly think business ownership is is still that today. And in her case, she was in TV. So she was a producer in television. And she's like, there's, there's very few women as I was growing up in the ranks. And she said, every once in a while, I would reevaluate and take stock of what I had accomplished in my life. And without diminishing her own achievements, she was able to honestly say that some of the biggest successes that she'd ever had in life came about because one person believed in her a little bit more than she believed in herself. And I just, I keep thinking about that because I certainly feel that way in my own life. I just had a conversation with Anthony. I'm sitting there boohooing like, oh, this business that we started and we're year one and I'm just not sure it's working out. And he really had to give me that pep talk. And I'm so grateful that anytime I need to draw from that well, he's there to remind me that there's somebody in my corner who believes in me a little bit more when I need that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with admitting that. I don't think that speaks poorly of you at all. If anything, I think it's important that you recognize that having people like that in your life is a very critical component of your success in finding that purpose. And, you know, certainly having someone that you have a loving relationship with also helps with that. But I do want to turn to that. I mean, Weren't you a little bit nervous about starting a business with somebody that was, as you call, sort of your boyfriend? Um, I think, you know, kind of part of my, I'm going to use the word dysfunction at the time (laughs) because I think I'm better, is I have this impulsive nature and excitement about things. And I think I rode that wave. Mm. And there was something about exactly what you said about Anthony. Nick always saw something in me I couldn't find in myself, but I could see it reflected in him. Mm -hmm. And seeing it reflected in him helped me internalize it for the first time for myself. And there was something in that dynamic that it didn't matter what was created. I knew I needed it. So it could have been in a cafe, it could have been something else. I always felt that, yes, we had an awesome relationship and I was grateful. I'd never had, I, I have never had the connection to another human being other than my kids, which is different. Of course. That I have with Nick. So I didn't have those things growing up. I, 
I fumbled around through life. So it's big for me, but I always felt our connection was about more Mm. and I didn't know what more was. So I trusted that he did know. And I'm grateful for that. Now that dynamic has changed since I've been a businesswoman for nine years and I have found things inside of me that I guess Nick always saw. I'm an amazing leader. I have all sorts of business knowledge that was hidden inside of me somewhere that I just hadn't accessed or used. And so there's been times where I'm the leader now and I'm helping Nick and I'm reflecting to him his gifts and talents because I'm full now. I can do that for someone else. But in the beginning, it was really his confidence And I would say my kind of natural excitement about risk taking, I'm a risk taker. I like that stuff. I like to gamble. That was very helpful in this situation that I have a natural tendency toward toward taking risk and being brave. Well, I think that's so important. And we'll discuss this, like you said, in the in sort of the Ask Joanne's, because I am the anti-risk taker and the anti-gambler. But one of the things that you said that I find so important is this idea of mirroring that you saw in Nick a reflection of yourself that you had never been provided before. I was talking with my therapist couple of weeks ago, and she mentioned this concept of mirroring, particularly in child development, and how important it is that your mother, in particular, reflect back an image of yourself that's healthy, that's loved, that's valued, and that's treasured. And oftentimes, you know, particularly when mothers are stressed, if they're alone, if they you know, are dealing with their own trauma or illness, instead of reflecting that back, they are actually reflecting irritation, you know, exhaustion, or simply not present at all. And therefore, the child is left bereft of that really critical reflection. And so they grow up sort of not knowing who they are and always seeking some type of validation from everywhere around them. So how uniquely beautiful it is that Nick was there to be that mirror for you and how much sense it makes that it was that mirror that ultimately catapulted you, combined with your love of risk-taking to make this very important and pivotal decision to start the cafe. Now, you mentioned that you guys never struggled, that there were opportunities sort of opening to you, but that you worked really, really hard. You know, for those who are thinking of starting a business, when you say work hard, like how much hard work were you doing? Did you ever think at some point, man, we shouldn't have done this. I should just go back to the cushy life I had before. I have. And I've ruminated on that in a serious way. It was, it was really difficult. And all of my buttons get pushed at the cafe. Every trigger I have has been exposed. As you probably know, when you put yourself out to the world, you're really vulnerable to criticism and you can't control people's reaction to you, what you're doing. Plus, I had never worked that hard. A stay-at-home mom is a job and it's, it's, it's very hard, but this was different. There was a different responsibility. I had employees I was responsible to. I had Nick that I 
made this bargain with. We also were partners with Greg Anzalone and Rich Roll. So there was a dynamic that I had to show up for, and I had never been that consistent mm. in my entire life. So, and then financially, it was tough. We didn't make money in the beginning. You know, we were doing well and breaking even. We weren't losing money, but I wasn't, you know, I didn't have a salary. And so you're almost like working for um, nothing, which is when you're working really hard and you're doing, I did dishes and I was the smoothie guy. And that first year was everything. Like you're cleaning the bathrooms and busting tables, which I still do that now. But at the time it kind of bothered me because I thought I was going to be like the hostess mm. of a party. And I wasn't, I was a worker and it humbled me <laughs> and I didn't like it. And sometimes I still don't like it, you know, but I love it. Mm -hmm. And I'm grateful that I have this discipline that's provided for me through this, this restaurant that seems like this little thing, but it's so much more owning your own business and going on that adventure. It's grown me faster and more thoroughly than anything else I could have, I could have imagined and having so much at risk really brought out the best in me. Mm. Kind of coming back full circle, we start your story in California and it's one of chaos. And to be honest, coming back to California, it sounds like there was a pretty significant amount of chaos, somewhat self-induced that you entered into as well. But ultimately, I think at the beginning of our chat, you said that coming home was a big part of healing those wounds. How do you think that starting Joy Cafe, meeting Nick, building a community around your restaurant and becoming closer to nature, you know, grounding yourself in California, its trails, its earth, its beauty. How has that all contributed to finding a path towards healing? I believe whether it's the cafe or the trails or Nick or being brave and doing this today, this is outside my comfort zone. Like all of those things are props. I have looked at life from so many angles and it seems like a game to me with unfair rules. Mm -hmm. And that's always bothered me that everybody didn't get good parents. Everybody doesn't have the same start. People in other countries or with different backgrounds or different skin color have different struggles. Like I've, I've really take it all seriously and have tried to figure it out. But what I've come to understand is this experience is about coming back into yourself and everything that comes into your life that you try or the heartbreak or the struggle or the joys, all of it is about knowing yourself, truly knowing yourself. I had to come back. I had to come back to a space that I was afraid of, which was this area, to like reclaim that child and be her parent. And once I was able to do that, then I was able to start finding like, okay, what's beyond that? Who's the woman in me? How am I able to show up in a relationship? I am like you. I have attachment issues. And so I have fears around that. I've I've done a lot of work to be fearless. Mm. All of this has brought me to a place inside of myself that 
I am more connected, more in love, more, oh, like Nick, there's something about him that I'm always so curious about. Like he, I find so much joy in him as a human being. I am more connected than ever, but I am also more independent, more autonomous, more grounded in who I am first than I have ever been in any, any space in my life. I didn't even know it was possible. So it was through all of this, through all the struggle. And that's the thing in like with these questions, which were so amazing that people sent to you. It's like, it's a process. And we get hung up on wanting to feel better now, mm. but you're in the process and all these little steps start adding up. And when you keep going back inside, keep going back inside, being responsible, realizing that person didn't really do anything to me, I kind of, I, I kind of didn't show up the best way or whatever it is for you, there's strength in that and there's beauty and figuring out who you are. And if that's our purpose, it's really not about all the other things. Mm. It's really about us. That's what I'm finding. And I never knew that I could be so happy alone and I could go on the trail by myself and have a perfect moment of peace. And I found that very late in life and I'm protective of it. And now I'm wondering, like, does it get better? Do I learn more? Is there more of this? Did other people have it all along? I don't know. But it's pretty miraculous. And especially around relationships. I think a lot of people want to find that feeling through another person. And I've had it through another person where I had some of it, but it's not near as good as the feeling that I have showing up for myself and loving myself first. And I fought hard for that. And the cafe is really like, it kind of beat me up enough <laughs> that I got there, you know? So I don't know. I don't know if you can relate to that. And I know your journey, you've, you've had some similar things. I've been listening to your podcast. So maybe we're all out there doing the same thing. I think there is some of that. But what I love about what you're saying, I mean, first of all, I agree with everything you just said. But I guess I, I want to end this sort of section of Meet Joy with a question that I've wanted to ask you many times and that I hope our listeners can really appreciate, which is what do you have to say to the people who believe in their hearts that they're too old to have dreams. So I have a lot to say about that, but I'm going to be to the point. I met the love of my life at 49. I started my business in my 50s. The past 10 years have been the best 10 years of my life. And I believe the best is yet to come. And yeah, my body's changing. And on top of all the stuff I'm dealing with, aging in this vehicle that I've been given. I told Nick the other day, I said, you know what I'm starting to think? Like my body's descending while my spirit is ascending because on the inside, I have never been so good. So I don't really give a shit about the body stuff. If that's the gift of aging, that I'm comfortable in my own skin and that I give a shit about myself, I'll take it. 
And so I would say to anybody in that space, like the time comes when the time comes. I didn't expect it at this time in my life, but it came and I grabbed it and I am grateful for that. So I know people who fall in love at 70. So don't, don't sell yourself short. We're, we're on this journey. Be on it the entire time. Don't give up at 30 and don't give up at 50 and don't give up at 80. That's beautiful. Well, I don't know about you, but I had chills throughout so much of that conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Joy Stearns has truly mastered the art of feeding the soul. And as I mentioned during the conversation, if you have a chance to visit Joy Cafe, I cannot recommend it strongly enough. It truly is nearly a daily ritual of ours to have something that Joy has prepared. So you know the drill. Every week I ask listeners and newsletter subscribers to submit questions to Ask Joanne. These can range from questions about how to go vegan to how to make ramen with tofu. We tackled that a few weeks ago, as well as more pressing issues like how to recover from a broken heart. This week, we're not only going to tackle a few of the Ask Joannes that have come through the Ask Joanne inbox, we're also going to invite Joy to weigh in on some of these issues. As you can no doubt tell from our conversation, Joy is uniquely equipped to provide a really interesting perspective on some of the issues that tend to press not just our listeners' hearts, but many people's as well. So are you ready to tackle some Ask Joanne questions? I'm so excited. And you had a ton of questions. And I just have to say, your listeners, the questions were amazing. And I want to take all these people to coffee and just like talk to them because it it was hard to just pick a few. I agree. I, I feel that every single time I go through the inbox, I'm like, I could, I could talk to all of these people. We should we should have like a big party at Joy Cafe. Exactly. Yeah. And then we'll just have a question booth like Lucy on uh, the, line, the the old peanuts. Oh, yeah, we'll yeah, yeah. Oh, that'll be awesome. Well, we are going to tackle three questions today. And the first one is brought to us by our friend Kelvin. And I'll, I'll read it out loud for both of us. Hi, Joanne. I have a lot of energy and a big heart. I just got out of a toxic relationship. It's been two years, but I want to move on. I feel like no one gets me. Every time I give love, they take it and run away. Recently, I met someone and I think I went too hard. However, they seem to like it. Unfortunately, just like the rest, they took a step back after they got the love they needed. How do I control this? Much love, Calvin. Okay, I told you, Joanne, coming in, I took these questions very seriously, and I feel like I spent the weekend with Calvin. Well, he sounds like a good person to spend the weekend with. Right. So first, I want to say, Calvin, I love you. I've been here, and I have a lot of energy and a big heart, too. So I completely understand that. And sometimes having a big heart can mean that you're really, really open and vulnerable to 
others, and that can be painful. And I hear a little bit of that in your question. So here are my thoughts. First of all, I wish I had more details. Um, so it's hard to kind of read into exactly what you're asking here. But how long did you take to heal, like after the relationship? Because it takes time for our body and our minds to process trauma and abuse. And it takes time to kind of get back into your own energy and be out of the pain. And so my first thing is that's really, really important to take that time to heal and not to re-traumatize yourself by getting into another relationship too quickly. So that would be my first part. The second part is just an observation about going slow. A therapist told me a long time ago that when we go really fast in relationships, it can mean that we're afraid. And we're trying to hide some things about ourselves and we want to go fast and kind of catch that other person really quickly. I have done that. And I think when we go in too quickly, it can feel like rejection when it doesn't work out, where if we go slow and we let a relationship play out kind of naturally and we're not sinking all of our feelings into it at the very beginning, then that kind of changes the idea of rejection, which is a really harsh and like hard feeling to go through, to disappointment. When you go slow, you're just like, yeah, I'm disappointed this didn't work out, but you weren't so invested in it on the front end that it feels like rejection. So that would be a, another little tip for you. And then I would also say, generally, what we're seeking in others is something we're not giving to ourselves. So I don't know you, Calvin. I don't know how full your life is and if you have all your friends and like you're doing all the things for Calvin to like love Calvin. <laughs> That's what I want to ask you. Are you loving yourself enough? And I know it's hard to do in this world because we want to date and we want someone else to make us feel better. And in those moments in the beginning of infatuation, we feel full and whole. But if it doesn't work out, sometimes we can just feel empty again. And intimate relationships, whether emotionally or physically intimate, they have a tendency to kind of exaggerate some of the things going on inside of us. So I would ask you to look at that and look at that feeling of rejection. And is that something that lives inside of you regardless of this? Or is that something that's only playing out here in the relationship? Like, I don't know, but I get a sense and like my intuition from your question is that you have some inside work to do and your self-esteem and your love for yourself, it's almost like be your own cherry on top first before we need someone else to be the cherry on top. And that's really powerful to be in that place. And one more thing I wanted to say was that I found this definition of integrity. The definition of integrity is a state of being whole and undivided within yourself. It means unified, unimpaired, sound in construction. And I think when we show up in a relationship in integrity, when we've done the work within ourselves, 
then the outcomes are different. And that doesn't mean you can't date while you're doing the work. It just means you're mindful of where you're at in these relationships and what's good for you so you don't set yourself up to be hurt. I love what you said. And to take up something you said earlier, even when you were describing your own story and your own relationships, I I think that Calvin, I agree with Joy. It's hard to know without more details, but I understand that you can get limited amount of space to ask these types of questions. But what I worry about and what you describe is that you're constantly giving, they take, and then they walk away. And you also say that you feel you may have come on a little bit too hard. And again, I'm projecting because it's impossible to not project in, in these types of situations. But I know that in my first love, I was always told by my parents, you do everything for your ex-husband. You do everything for him. Where are you? Where are you in this relationship? You've disappeared in this relationship because everything is about making sure that he stays with you, that he still loves you, that he still appreciates you. Ultimately, what I discovered was that I was acting this way, thinking that these were acts of love, but they were not. They were acts of sort of desperation, like, please stay, don't leave me, you know, please don't tell me that you're going to reject me. I need you to stay. I was like so hungry and starved for that. So what I always go back to is these acts of sacrifice, even if sacrificing what you want to do, like, oh, I don't want to go to that movie, but I'll go anyway, or that's not really what I want to eat today, but because I love you, we'll eat that today. I think that certainly can be loving at times, but if it becomes a habit where you're basically sacrificing what you want to do all the time, eventually you will be sacrificing who you are, not just what you want to do. And what I always say with love is if love is an extrapolation of who you are, if you disappear into a relationship, you can no longer love them anymore because you no longer exist. And so it's important, Calvin, that you protect who that is. Who is Calvin? And remember that Calvin deserves to be loved. Calvin is worthy of love, respect, trust, appreciation, all of those things in and of himself, right? Separate and apart from the things that Calvin does for their loving partner. You deserve that. I think rejection, Joy, what you said is so important. It's awful. But if you look at it as an opportunity, right, of self-discovery or rediscovery, if you will, a lesson in how to love yourself before you enter into your next relationship, I think that that is the way to look at it. Obviously, what you said in the beginning too is important. You got to take the time to heal. It can take a lot longer than whatever's prescribed by pop psychology. Oh, yeah, three months and you should be good. There's just no rhyme or reason to it. But at the same time, trying to build on your self-esteem and learn to love and appreciate yourself will facilitate the achievement of the kind of relationship that you deserve and that you've been looking for, Calvin. Yeah, one more thing Calvin says in the question is, how do I control Yeah, that's a tough one. And you can't control it. And you can't control other people. And giving other people everything they want and taking nothing for yourself is honestly a way that we're trying to control. We're trying to control. So I heard a quote that was something like, 
we only lose the things we cling to. So having freedom in relationships and being stable and strong enough, there's give and take. That's what I want for you, Calvin. I want you to have somebody that gives as much as you give. And the second, in the beginning, if you see that someone isn't in that space, that you're strong enough to think that's not the person for me. I deserve more because I think you do, Calvin. So I take time, heal, be really, really kind to yourself. I love that. All right. Shall we move on to Christy? Yes. All right. Christy asks, how do you overcome the fear of following your dreams? I'm starting a business that I've always dreamt of, but I find myself hesitating on taking the steps to make it happen because I'm afraid to fail. This is right up your alley. (laughs) I was so excited. And Christy, I've been where you're at and it's scary. It is scary. I believe you. I hear you. I've been there. Like I said earlier to Joanne, I'm not a chef. I had zero business experience when I started the cafe. I'd never sold a bite of food. And it was scary. And taking those steps was scary. One thing that helped me, I remember I laid in bed one night and I thought, when I'm 80 years old, is it going to feel better to say, yeah, I opened a restaurant in LA one time. Or, no, I thought about it, but I played it safe. And for me, it didn't matter if the cafe was a success or a failure. I knew by just taking those steps and being brave, I was going to meet people. I was going to learn things I didn't know. I was going to come out of it with experiences and knowledge and growth that It didn't matter if it failed. That was going to help me on to whatever the next steps were that I wanted to take. So there's something about like just knowing it's going to be a process, not being quite as focused on the success or failure of it, and just asking yourself, like, how does it feel in your body when you think about it? Is it fear or is it excitement? because those can be very similar. Do you feel a little teeny flame of in your imagination, like you can see it and feel it? Is it a good idea? I mean, there has to be like some some kind of cohesive, you know, we started at the beginning of kind of the vegan movement. It, it was a good, we had a good foundation in our idea. So I don't know what your idea is, but um, I would ask that. And then to to also ask yourself, are you ready for the commitment? Um, Opening a business or um, following your dreams takes a commitment. And if all those answers are yes, yes, I'm willing. Yes, I know it's a gamble, but I think it's a good idea. Yes, there's a little flame inside of me. Sit quietly, get off social media, Stop talking to your friends for a minute and get connected to that voice inside of you because you know the answer, Christy. I know that you do. And fear, you just have to shove that fear aside. If you really want to do this, 
who cares if it doesn't make it? Who cares if it fails? Who, like ultimately, who cares? Life is about taking risk. We are here. We have this one wild and precious life. And sometimes you have to go for it. Mm. Well, there's a lot that I can learn from listening to Joy. I will say that my perspective is a little different only because I am the lawyer. I don't like risk. And I I feel like I am a little bit of the doom and gloom, certainly in my relationship with Anthony. I'm always the pessimist. He's always the optimist. And, and I'm hearing you say, who cares? Well, well, I don't know. The insurance company will care. <laughs> my children's school will care. Like the car company who's going to take my car away will care. I mean, I guess that's all to say is, and I know you appreciate this, like we're not sitting here saying like there aren't consequences, like real life, really horrible consequences that can happen if you fail. Like I, I do want to validate that fear. Like I I watched this show called Kitchen Nightmares. I don't know if you've ever watched it with Gordon Ramsay. I haven't yet. So this is like before he became super famous. There was like this weird random show on the BBC where he would go into restaurants that are like on utter collapse mode and he'll just like redo everything. And sometimes he'll save them and sometimes he simply can't. And what I witnessed from watching that show was like, wow, like these people mortgaged their homes. They took out their 401ks and now they have nothing left. Like if this restaurant fails, they won't have the money to pay for their homes or have adequate health care. You know, I don't want to understate the source of, of Christie's fear. Like it's a real one. But I think I always questioned this notion of like, well, that's just what it takes to be a dream chaser. You just have to be afraid and live on the edge. And I'm like, why? Like, why do you have to live on the edge? I think there are certain things that you can do to make things a little bit safer and less scary. And I always go back to my own experience, which is, well, I saved a lot of money. I need at least one year's worth of living expenses in the bank for me to just take this risk. And I, and actually I'm pretty sure you did this too, is it sounds like you did some research to figure out, okay, is this a strategically sound decision to make at this time? What is the market for vegan restaurants? I don't think there were a lot in Westlake Village at the time that you guys started, if any. Right. And, so, and you guys also added the gluten-free, which I think is brilliant. In case you all don't know, it's also an entirely gluten-free restaurant, which I think is huge. In the same way, I was doing a lot of research on my own business and, you know, is there a space for this? Is, is this economy willing and able to take up the supply that I was able to provide? The most important thing was what you described, which was getting comfortable with failure. Just being like able to say, all right, if I fail, I'll be okay. I'll survive. And a lot of that was simply saying, hey, look. If all else fails and I literally lose all my money and I have nothing but a cardboard box left to my name, okay, that's like material things. I still have this incredible education. I have nearly two decades worth of experience as a lawyer in one of the biggest law firms in the, you know, in the world. I know I'm mentally tough. I've run a lot of marathons to prove that. Fine, bring it. I will survive. I'll, I'll do better than survive. I'll learn from my mistakes and I'll find somewhere else to start anew. That mentality 
cannot be overstated in pursuing that dream chase. I think there are ways to make it perhaps practically safer. I always say, give your dream enough time to really blossom because I'm sure as you know, dreams take time. That is the thing they need more than anything else in the world is they need time. So do what you can to give it as much time as you feel is necessary to give it a chance. But beyond that, knowing that failure is oftentimes necessary part of the process is really important. Yeah. And Joanne, did you have, like I was saying, how I had signs along the way where doors were kind of opening in the right areas? Did you have kind of signs that helped you know? There wasn't really a sign. There was, however, a piece of advice that a friend gave to me, kind of like, you know, I think you had mentioned that you'd had a conversation or you'd heard something that really sparked something inside of you. I similarly had a conversation with a friend when I was really struggling. Like, I don't know, like, you know, I worked so hard to be a lawyer and to make partner and, and the idea of giving it all up just seems like vomit inducing, (laughs) like, you know, Mm -hmm. and she said to me, Joanne, I love you. You're one of my closest friends and I've known you for a while now. And I am sure you're an amazing lawyer. I am sure you're really good at your job, but I am equally sure they can find somebody else to do what you do at the firm. There is literally nobody else on the planet that can do what you do as the Korean vegan. And that really struck a chord with me. And you know, on the one hand, it's basic like supply and demand. Oh yeah, I am the only person who can provide the supply. And if there is a demand for what I can supply, that's just basic econ. It will do well. It will be successful. But even putting that to one side, she let me believe that I was allowed to live a life of purpose and fulfillment, that every single day I could wake up and and feel a direction in my choices that I had never had before, that I could be the author of that direction when every single other day of my life, somebody else was pointing that arrow for me. And that was so powerful. And so for Christy, if that's what you're feeling, the idea of this dream business is giving you that direction that you feel, as Joy said, compelled to follow, then I think the choice sort of makes itself. Yeah. And I would also think about, are you going to regret? That was a big thing for me. I knew I would regret not trying. Mm. And so I love everything that you said, Joanne, because you add that voice of reason to my just go for it. Um, (laughs) We have a balanced approach here. (laughs) Yeah. And I think Nick was you Mm. in all of it. I just threw caution to the wind, maybe because I could a little bit with him. So I agree, Christy, like, don't hurt yourself over it in some ways. But yeah, think about it. Listen to your heart, listen to your body and think about what Joanne said, what I said. I, I want to hear down the road about your successful dream. Yeah. Or I, failure and then all the stuff you learn from failing. Yeah. I want to know what this dream business is. <laughs> Thanks so much, Christy. Let's move on now to our friend, the Autistic Biscuit. Autistic Biscuit asks, how do you deal with the inevitable creative slump? Say, when the grind of it all feels too much like an uphill battle and less like something worth doing, 
with the fear that whatever you're doing won't be worth it in the end or you won't get what you wanted out of it. I love this and I feel this. Honestly, there are some days where I dislike 80% of what I do. I'm just being perfectly honest. I do a lot of stuff for the cafe that A, I'm not good at, that B, is a struggle for me and feels like what you described, the grind. I don't know anybody, and I can't wait to hear what Joanne says about this, who doesn't grind, who's successful. It is the foundation of success. We hear about, you know, following your passion and, and maybe for artists in a different way, like there is a creative process that you, you're just always in this beautiful zone. That has not been the case for me. But when you show up for the grind, I think as your best self, like when you surrender that part of the job is the grind and you can be present in the grind. And even if you're hundred percent is 50% some days, whatever the max is that you can give to the tedious tasks, as well as the tasks that you love. I think just for me, I would have horrible imposter syndrome and feel like someone was going to take my business away or it could fail at any time if I didn't know how hard I've worked Mm -hmm. to get to where I am. And that is the grind. And there is a discipline and it's It's almost like a respect I've developed for myself by showing up on those days when it's really, really hard for me. And I've been in some long creative slumps. Like I had a year or two at the cafe that it was just all work. I mean, like real work. Like it was hard for me to get there, hard for me to go in. I was dealing with a lot of employee issues, a lot of things going on, and I wasn't able to cook and come up with recipes and do all the things that are an outlet for me. But once I had that experience and I now understand like that's part of it, I think I'm stronger from it. And I do believe that it makes me stand taller in my success because I literally know my blood, sweat and tears is on the floor of the cafe. Mm. And also I'm good at everything. I know what everybody else's job is for the most part. I don't barista as much as I used to in some of the other things, but if I had to, I could do it. And that's because of the grind. And it's always worth it. If you are giving of yourself in a really full way, it doesn't matter what the task is, it's going to be worth it. Mm -hmm. And I just think your business and anything you're doing is going to thrive in a different way because of that sacrifice you made in the grind. So I feel you, I hear you, I've been in the slump. Do really good things for yourself outside of work or your creative process. So if that's you know hiking or running or meditating, or for me, I have days where I go to Whole Foods and I get vegan bologna, which I'm so happy that they <laughs> made it, and vegan cheese and white bread and the super crunchy lettuce and vegan mayo and chips. 
and I make a little kid bologna sandwich and I get in bed and I watch shows. That is the best thing I've ever heard in my life. And sometimes I have to do that for a while and I'll stop and pick up vegan cupcakes from Sprinkles and I eat that stuff in bed and I like nurture the little kid in me who doesn't want to go do the grind. Joy just became legendary. (laughs) Yeah, so... I feel you on all of this and you can do it. And I can't wait to hear what Joanne has to say. Well, I have to say, there's a reason we saved this one for last, I think, and it was by Joy's design. But I found this to be the most challenging of the three questions for me because, you know, my thinking on this topic continues to evolve because I've only just started this creative endeavor of mine. I'm not even done with year one of being a full-time author and content creator I am very familiar with what I'll call sort of a seemingly purposeless grind. I know what that feels like. For 17, 18 years, I worked at a job and its sole purpose was to give me financial security. That literally was it because I had been taught by such an early age that financial security was a god, basically. There was literally nothing more important than having a steady paycheck. And my lawyer job did that very expediently very efficiently, and it was nice. But it was, in every other sense of the word, purposeless, and it was the worst grind ever. I mean, not just long hours, but the stress of my job was was grinding me to a nub. And I, you know, we've talked about this in previous podcasts. I could feel Joanne like leeching out of me with every passing year. Like I'm losing myself here. Like I don't know who I am anymore. Now, part of it was exacerbated by the relationship I was in at the time. But, you know, as I've mentioned, I was living from weekend to weekend. That that was the only time I felt I could be me. In that situation, these questions that you ask, you know, how do I know if it's going to be worth it? How do I know if it's going to end in the way that you want? Well, ask yourself, what is it that you want? How do you measure worth? Is it money? Is it financial security? Is it really worth it then? Like if that's what you're going after, if if you're trying to, you know, get a dream home or, or your dream car at the end of whatever grind you're describing, then I think these questions about worth really need to be turned back to you, you know, and, and you need to think about well, why are these the things that determine worth? Why are these the things that I want? Because if the answer is, yes, the only way this will be worth it to me is if at the end of it I make a million dollars or I become rich and famous or I get to have a a dream car, a dream home as well, you better really, really like whatever it is that you're doing because you may spend a lifetime doing it because those types of rewards are still pretty few and far between. Rich and famousness, that doesn't really come to most people at the end of it. I kept thinking, while I was thinking about this question, I kept thinking about this quote from James Clear. He's the writer of New York Times bestselling Atomic Habits. And he said, forget about your goals and fall in love with the process. And he said right after that, okay, I don't literally mean forget about your goals, like throw them away. But what he's trying to do is emphasize the importance of falling in love with the process. And what you said, Joy, about, yeah, you know, there are times when I I really don't like what I have to do. It truly does feel like a grind. But that you also learn the importance of being present for that commitment, present for that process. And I think that's kind of 
what I took away from my lawyer job and my current job, which is I never wanted to be present in my lawyer job. I just wanted to punch in, punch out, collect my you know paycheck and, and feel like, okay, I did a good job. But in my current iteration of career, I agree with you. There are days where I'm like, I don't want to cook. I don't want to have to you know, put my camera up and and film this. I just I just want to sit around and watch Korean dramas all day and eat ice cream. Like there's certainly those days, but at the end of it, there is a part of that process that I still very much love and appreciate. I love the art of it. I love recreating ideas. I love recipe development. I mean, the, the, I have recipes floating around in my head almost 24 hours a day. And so there's a part of it that I truly enjoy. And this kind of goes back to what we were talking about with Christy is, okay, if this fails, I'm still going to love cooking. I'm still going to love recipe development. I'm still going to love eating jajangmyeon. That's never going to change, you know? And, and I think that's how I know that it is worth it. Because no matter what happens, whether I make a lot of money, whether I go bankrupt, that core desire, that core joy of creating food, creating community, storytelling, and speaking and advocating on behalf of people who can't speak for themselves, these are things that will never change. The external things can change, but who I am and the things that make me feel like a a thriving human being, that doesn't change. So I think that would be my answer to what I still find a very difficult question because I think a lot of people kind of rub up against that grind. I love your perspective. And I love that you and I both read the questions kind of differently. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, I wouldn't work in a restaurant for someone else and do what I'm doing. Never. Mm. So it's owning the restaurant and knowing that the grind, I know the purpose. I know what I'm building. I know what I'm doing for my employees. I know what it takes for the customers to have a great experience. So I have a payoff from the grind. So I think that's a great distinction. Like, who are you grinding for? Mm. But if it's for yourself and your dreams... Or if it's a job that you you really do love, then then I agree. Like you have to kind of get through it. But if it's not, like Joanne said, then ask yourself those really important questions. I love that. And I think the other thing about it is that's not to say that there wasn't a lot of value that I was able to take with me when I left my lawyer job and decided to do something a little bit more artistic and creative. I learned so much from that. And, you know, I, I sensed, again, we, you know, we don't always get as much information as we want, but I did sense from Autistic Biscuit's sort of description, like, wow, like, do, do you like what you're doing? <laughs> like, that's what I really wanted to ask. I'm like, do you enjoy what you're doing? And if the answer is no, that's fine. Like, actually, that's good. That just means that you still have a little bit of mining to do to figure out what is it that makes you happy? Like, what brings you joy separate and apart from some of the other, you know, albeit practical considerations about your career? Like, I I think that's that's like exciting to be able to say, all right, I'm going to take what I learned from what I've been doing so far, and I'm going to use that to do something better, that's really exciting. I love that. I agree with you 100%. Well, of course you do. That's why I invited you to be on this show. 
show. So, well, I think that's all we have for our Ask Joannes and Ask Joys. I had so much fun talking with you about this. This is so great. I loved it. I'm so flattered that you asked me. And my whole intention was just hoping and praying that one thing that I have to offer helps someone. And I, I hope that we achieve that. And I, I love it. I love you. I love the mm-hmm. podcast. I love everything you're doing. I love how supportive you've been of the cafe and like I told you earlier, you're someone else who reflects to me a worth that I don't always see. And I'm you're very generous. And I'm so grateful for that. So thank you for including me. And it was lots of fun. And I want to answer all the other questions. <laughs> well, we'll definitely have you back to answer more questions. And, you know, contrary to what you think, I'm not always generous. <laughs> I, I think that you merit everything and you touch millions of people's lives with your food, with your absolutely incredible food. So for all of you who are listening, who happen to be in SoCal, make the trip to Westlake Village, check out Joy Cafe. If I may recommend the breakfast bagel sandwich is literally life-saving and life-altering. It's absolutely delicious, as is their broccoli cheese soup. Amazing. So thank you so much for joining us this week. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks to Autistic Biscuit, Christy, and Calvin for submitting their questions to Ask Joanne. I hope you all enjoyed our guest advisor, Joy Stearns. I know I certainly did. If you have a question that's pressing on your heart, make sure to hit the link in the show note below and ask Joanne today. Updates and random things. What I'm watching. Okay, so one of my favorite things to do when I check into a hotel is to browse through the still in theaters movies that you can watch for an exorbitant fee. I recently went to Chicago for a speaking engagement and I was delighted to discover that Downton Abbey, A New Era was available on the hotel's movie programming thing. But delight quickly devolved into disgust. It was literally one of the worst films I've watched in a really long time. Not only did I regret my decision to plunk down a whole $21 for what was one of the worst written films I've ever seen, it actually started to ruin my otherwise good opinion of the show and the characters I'd grown to love so very much. It's a hard no on this one, folks. Return to the vlog. As some of you may remember, last December, I tried my very darndest to post a vlog every single day for the entire month of December. Well, that fell apart when Anthony contracted COVID. But I did post for nearly two weeks and discovered how much I really love vlogging, even though it takes an absurd amount of work. It's a really unique form of storytelling that I find very challenging, but also incredibly rewarding. It's also a wonderful way of documenting your journal, as the name suggests, vlog. It was wonderful to pick through some of the things that we were going through as a family all the way back in December, mostly training for the half marathon that I would eventually run in March of the following year. Now, I've always known I would come back to this format of content creation, and I am really excited to announce that I've posted my very first episode of my inner monologue on my YouTube channel. I'll include a link in the show note below. I won't be posting a daily vlog, though, but will instead post every couple of weeks. Definitely check it out if you have time. 
an intimate night with Indeed. Now, one of the best parts of my business and job is speaking engagements. I love meeting with folks all over the country to discuss the power of storytelling, career development, and of course, fulfillment in the workplace. These are things that we cover a lot in this very podcast. This past week, I was invited by Indeed to come out to their pop-up workspace in Chicago to discuss how to find purpose at the workplace. I had such a blast meeting and chatting with everyone there. They'll be posting the entire chat on their YouTube channel, so keep your eyes peeled for that. And of course, we're not going to end this podcast without some parting thoughts. In 2015, after a very severe bout of disordered eating, I walked into a therapist's office. She told me quite simply, loving yourself will be the hardest thing you ever do. I nearly walked out of her office right then and there because however hard it might be to believe this, I'm actually really not into that hippy-dippy love shit. I prefer practical, step-by-step advice supported by data and evidence. But Rachel was right on the money with her prediction. Loving myself has been the hardest thing I've ever undertaken because somewhere along the way, I began to take for granted that I am dispensable, a very poor investment. And therefore, instead of accepting who I am, I compulsively transform myself into the Joanne I think people want me to be. Whether it's subjecting myself to starvation, discarding my own tastes in food and music, or assuming hobbies that I actually sort of hate, I'm like a vampire, cannibalizing the confidence of those around me with the hope of filling a void I can't ever seem to fill. One of my favorite poems in all of literature is a sonnet by Shakespeare. In it, the legendary poet writes, Love is not love, which alters when it alteration finds, or bends with the remover to remove. Oh no, it is an ever-fixed mark that looks on tempests and is never shaken. Love alters not with his brief hours and weeks, but bears it out even to the edge of doom. I'm pretty sure that Shakespeare was describing the enduring nature of a true love, but what I think is so interesting is that he defines love as the marriage of true minds. True can have a lot of meanings, most typically, back in the day, meant fidelity. And from what I know, Shakespeare definitely had reason to be a little paranoid (laughs) in that regard. Now, we often think of faithfulness as an act benefiting our romantic partners, but what about fidelity? To ourselves? Is it possible to cheat on ourselves? Can we betray ourselves in love? What if we took Shakespeare's death-defying definition of love and turned it inwards? Because love is not just a feeling, but a choice. And we are, after all, a product of our choices. Accordingly, we should talk of love as not just a detached bauble that we hand over to a lucky few, but an extension of who we are. The unalterable, irremovable, and brave soul who looks on the most formidable of all storms and chooses not to be shaken, but to shake the world around us with a thundering act of our inimitable truth.
Thanks everyone for joining me for another episode of the Korean Vegan Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, do me a favor and hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. Leave a comment and a rating. All of those things mean so much to the sustainability of our podcast here, our fledgling little podcast. And of course, if there was something in particular that you found inspiring or insightful about this episode, it would mean so much to me if you shared it with your friends, your colleagues, your loved ones, your family or anyone else you think might be as inspired as you were. In the meantime, until next week, I hope you have a lovely and wonderful day. Mm-hmm.